I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, a CBS Sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza. Passing the ball around the ankles, over the head, slightly ahead, slightly behind, Chris Anderson. We cover an 0-2 in the Big 12 basketball team, Chris. First 12 games of the year, West Virginia, Virginia lost twice. to Two pretty good teams, it turns out. And then in a span of 48 hours, West Virginia lost twice to two Big 12 teams. 0-2 in the conference, 11 straight Big 12 road losses. And then, I don't know what we call what we saw Monday night. Continuation, culmination, I don't know, but certainly a frustrating scene involving Bob Huggins, Eric Stevenson, and we've kind of been here before, too. Yeah, with all of it, with, with the 0-2 start, with the losing on the road, with the... It, it it felt there was a point there where... I mean, eventually West Virginia took the lead, but I was thinking this right before they did, uh, after they had cut it back down to two. And I said to myself, wow, West Virginia is playing horribly, just horrid basketball. Uh, they're not getting the calls. And yet here they are in position in this game. And then they lost. And, and that's kind of been, that's been the MO for West Virginia in big 12 play in big 12 road play, especially for the last couple of years. Like it, it always seems like we're saying, wow, they're playing horrible, but it's close. And then they lost. Wow. They're playing horrible. But it's close, but they lost. And, and that just happened again last night. And then, as you mentioned, the, the Stevenson stuff, the Huggins, you know, getting upset, that seemed to be building as the game was going on. You could kind of just sense it was coming, um, both with Stevenson getting the tech and fouling out and with Huggins just kind of boiling over after, over all of it. Stevenson is, is wired different. You accept it when he's making threes and bring your team back into the game, but you don't accept it when it goes over the edge like it did last night. 
And then, I mean, this is not the first time. It's not the first time his road trip has happened. They, they've really kind of tried to have him settle down a little bit. And he's no value on the bench. He's much better on the floor. And, and he's a guy that can shoot him back into a game like he did last night. And again, continuation, culmination, I don't know. But rewind for us, Chris. Early second half Saturday, just two days earlier, this this started to heat up a little bit where a similar situation happened. Not identical, but as Huggins would say, it was a look at me thing instead of look at us, and it did carry over. Yeah, that game on Saturday, he was frustrated for the entire first half, uh, uh, ticky tack fouls and and some uh, frustration foul in there, and then early in the second half, like, I think it was literally like the first minute. Um, picks up that technical and that and Huggins said afterwards that like that that technical swung things and so this isn't a you know after the fact kind of thing from Huggins kind of pointing back to both games he said it after that first game like that that was crucial that technical hurt that technical swung momentum West Virginia was winning at that point and winning by uh, double digits I think or, or close to it and then all the momentum swung the other way. Stevenson had to sit out, was able to come back in, then almost you know quickly fouled out towards the end. Um, and, and you know, then you're back down to it this game. Same, same thing. Like they they come back, they come back. That three gives West Virginia the lead. And as he's going back down the court, apparently gestures. You couldn't really see it on TV replay. I didn't really see it, but um, you know, Jerry Pollard's gotta call it from all the way at the other end of the court and chase it down and gets him for it. And, you know, instead of a two point lead, now I think they only made one of two free throws, but they get the free throws, they get the ball. Stevenson's even, even more foul trouble now. And, and it's on like that, that was, you could just feel it because with Stevenson out that off, I mean, the offense is bad. Offense was really bad against Oklahoma state, but with Stevenson out, it's even worse. And he just keeps getting in foul trouble to the point that that offense just never gets going. Fouls out on an offensive foul a few moments later. And that's curious to me because he'd been shooting so well. He was hot and you could tell and was searching for spots, finding and getting the ball. All of a sudden he drives. And then again, maybe not what you want him doing. If you're West Virginia, probably what you want him doing. If you're Oklahoma state, he had nothing going when he dribbled the ball and, at that point, I think he wants something to happen. He wants to make something positive, um, maybe too much. And then officiating was really weird in the second half. <laughs> first half, I, one of those things where you sit down at halftime, like, wow, that was a tidy first half. I think there were eight total free throws, 20 total fouls. Uh, we end up with, I'm trying to think here, 26 fouls in the second half and uh, far, far more free throws. I'm not sure the game was so different. It did get physical, but again you have to adjust sooner or later and like if you're a guy who's haven't been able to drive all game and they've been calling some curious things putting your head down putting your arm out and trying to will your way to the basket is not going to help and he ends up in the bench and they just they just did not have an offensive threat after that and more to the point they had one fewer offensive threat they only had two guys who could score last night uh stevenson and mitchell and then um it's a little bit easier to focus on mitchell when you don't have a guy that he can that can spread out off of him and and Stand in the perimeter and catch a pass and do something with it. And if it's just Mitchell 
on the block or in the high post, it's a little bit easier to guard when he doesn't have options around him. And the point for West Virginia is they, man, their offense really struggled here. If you're looking at their box score here, 16 for Mitchell, 17 for Stevenson, eight for Matthews. No one else had more than four points. No one else made more than one shot. Uh, that's that's not going to do it here, which leads to this, Chris. Is it just Big 12 defenses and familiarity? Um, or is this this offense in a rut because they were scoring 80 points a game? They were 50% north. I understand non-conference opponents, but still, they would struggle with those numbers in the past in non-conference play. And just all of a sudden, thump right into a brick wall when big play starts here. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is because it it doesn't seem on the surface like the these teams are doing something drastically different than the the teams that West Virginia played in non-conference play. But West Virginia's offense, it, it's just it's stagnant and it's and it seems different uh, than what was going on in non-con play because in, in non-conference they were they were passing the, the I remember at some point you know the the numbers didn't start out great but about halfway through non-conference their uh, assist rate per made shot skyrocketed, which was a sign of ball movement and getting good shots. And that's good offense. If you if you are getting, and they were getting, you know, 60, 70% of their made baskets were assisted baskets, which are just fantastic numbers. Um, in that game last night, and I talked about it in the rapid reactions, it was it just the first possession for both teams of the second half, was a microcosm of what what happened in that game because Oklahoma State went with a screen, tossed it up, which was a ball was supposed to be at the elbow. He got kind of got pushed out to the three point line, passed it to that guy, fake handoff, real dribble handoff, screen, screen, screen the screener, boom, wide open three in the corner, and you come back down to the other end of the court, and for, the ball goes out of bounds. So and then West Virginia takes it out of bounds. And the play is Stevenson gets it in the left corner. The other four people stand around and watch. And then Stevenson does a one-on-one spinning fadeaway jump shot with no one in rebounding position. Now, that shot went in, but that's not sustainable. That's not sustainable offense. That's not good offense. And that is not winning offense. You're not going to win a basketball game running offense like that. And that was just... Kind of the, again, a microcosm of what West Virginia was doing all day. There were, there were times where uh, Joe Toussaint, and he is more of a one-on-one player and a dribble-drive kind of guy, and, and he's he's doing all this stuff by himself. There was another time where Emmett Matthews is, like, he does, Matthews does a lot of things well, but maybe the thing he does least well is dribble-drive, attacking a guy off the dribble. And he was dribble dribbling, trying to dribble-attack his man into – triple coverage triple three you know three defenders right there turn it over and then we've complimented jimmy bell for his ability to just say hey i am big i am strong i can make a little jump hook with my right hand over my left shoulder there we go that's it that's not enough to center an entire offense around and for whatever reason I mean, I know the reason. It's it's because this is what Huggins loves to do it. He's going to do it. He's always done it. They're going to run that offense through a big man. And, and, and Jimmy Bell is not as pleasant of a surprise as he has been in some parts of this game. He is not the guy who is going to drop 20 from the low post while also being able to inside out the ball and find 
you know, the opposite wing when he gets double teamed or something like that. That's not the game. And West Virginia is trying to run that game. And you see the results of these last two contests. Yeah, Bell has played 40 out of a possible 85 minutes last two games. Um, he's three for five. And I have him, let's see, six, four, 16 at the free throw line. Yeah. Um, and I want to say one dimensional because that's not fair to him because he doesn't have a lot of dimensions anyways. He has a very simplified skill set where get it to him on the walk and do it. But teams are just kind of like asking their big to take those bumps and to stand up and then see if you can like just discourage his hook or contest his hook or whatever. And and it works. Um, he's going to get points on second chance rebounds. But again, 18 minutes Saturday in an overtime game, 22 last night. They played out of five for stretches last night, which I thought at halftime might have been a good idea once uh, Musa Cisse got injured in the first half. That's 7'1", 200 and, I don't know, 260-pound dude there that was causing them problems in the first half. He gets out of the way. They go smallish and and, and try to, to finagle their way back into this game. But going back to the scores, Mitchell Stevenson, 12 for 24. The rest of the team, 7 for 28. That's awful. Like, your entire team apart from your two leading scorers gives you seven baskets and 28 shots two guys shoot 50 percent the rest of them shoot 25 and then west virginia likes to think of offense and defense this way for their defense if they can just debilitate the other team's point guard take the head off the snake if you will keep the ball out of his hand so he can't distribute with it whatever but get the ball away from the primary ball handler well your defense has a chance to succeed because their offense can't function in two games now Keydrian johnson 0 for 8 last night, 0 for 2 from three-point range, 4 for 6 at the foul line. Missed two big free throws late. Um, Saturday, 1 for 10, 1 for 4, 6 for 8. Saturday, he was it was interesting. He obviously, the one basket he makes sends the game to overtime, but he also added nine rebounds, seven assists. Not shooting, still playing. One rebound, one assist, and had no answer for himself offensively there now. So you're not point guard, point guard, struggling. Your guy that want to get the ball to in the middle, struggling. And then when you have two guys who can get it going, but no one else to help, that's that's problematic here. Um, so the offense is the offense right now. They just don't do enough, enough things well enough at present to, to compensate. And here they are, an overtime loss and a seven-point loss that was that was fairly close despite uh, the seven-point spread at the end. Again, so free throws late, that matters. But what, 53% on Saturday and then 60%? Monday, and then in two games, 35 turnovers there. It's 35 possessions just given away, too. So I'm kind of familiar frustration with them on offense. And then the one guy you kind of wanted to get going is Stevenson. You see him get it going, and he can't do it. And I guess we just go back to this, Chris, with Stevenson. Myriad options for Bob Huggins, but I think in the moment, we got the answer last night. He he has a knucklehead moment. Evidently, he's gesturing toward Marcus Smart which is kind of interesting, but gets a technical foul. It's his fourth foul. There's still some time left in the close game, and you just wonder, okay, will Huggins take him out for making a bad play and to preserve him, or does Huggins need him on the floor to make threes and to give the team offense? And he stayed on the floor. He didn't last much longer. He fouled out. That's probably a preview of what happens now. I don't I don't know what punitive measures come immediately for Eric Stevenson, but Huggins was pretty... Pretty adamant that this is not going to go on much longer, but I would imagine that starts and plays a lot Saturday because, man, what do they do without him? Yeah, one, 
he can't do this. It was building up the entire game and so much of it. I pointed it to, I think it was about an eight minute mark of the first half. Jimmy Bell is at the line shooting a one and one, which means, you know, one and one, the ball is live. Like that first shot, the ball is live. And Stevenson is so busy barking in Jerry Pollard's ear, complaining about God knows what, that Pollard has to literally shake him off, wave him off, and run away, kind of walk away from him because Pollard knows that the ball's about to be live. But Stevenson has to keep getting his word in. Bell makes the first shot. They start lining up for the second shot, and the camera back, pans back out, and there's Stevenson in Pollard's ear again as Bell's about to shoot his free throw. Again, the ball's about to be live. And, he, and then finally, Stevenson realizes it and sprints away from Pollard to go get ready to play. Like, it, it was just so focused on that. And he has to not do that. And somebody on this staff has to step in and make him stop. Make him stop. Now, Huggins is doing it after the game with his comments, I think. But somebody has to do it during the game. Because you watch both of these last two games, Stevenson's waving off the bench. He's raising, oh, I got three fouls. No, you have five. Like, you don't even, like, you're not even close to what you're, you think you're getting here. Somebody has to step in and tell him to chill out because he, it was building up the entire game and, and it didn't seem like, and maybe somebody was and he just wasn't listening. And that's why Huggins was so frustrated. But somebody over there has to be the guy, kind of like the, um, the guy on the football team who's the the pullback coach on the on the head coach who, who keeps the coach from running out on the field and grabbing him by the waist and all that stuff. They might have to literally designate somebody on the staff to do that with Stevenson to keep him calm because that th- this can't happen. What do you make of Huggins' post game comments on this road trip? Because the one Saturday was pretty stiff, and you're thinking, all right, Bob, it's zero and one. You lost in overtime. Didn't play great off a layoff. And then for, for different motivations, these are also stiff comments, more singular in nature directed at Stevenson. But I go back to the, the game right before the break. He was pretty pretty peeved after the Stony Brook game. And I wonder if he saw something, he knew something that maybe we didn't, that he's starting to express right now, And which makes me wonder, does he see something, does he sense something that may be coming down the road? Because these next two games are no easier. And 0-4 is not off the table here. 0-4 is very much on the table, and I think that's why the comments were made. I think it was frustration and him knowing that, that it's there. It's very much in play of, of starting Big 12 play 0-4 because these were like the two most winnable games of the first kind of half of conference play, basically, and they blew them both. Like they had a chance to win both of them and, and lost them. And as for Huggins' comment, and I think that's why he made the comments, I hate the comments publicly Mm. i I don't like the comments publicly if again if i'm coach and this i'm not going into the hall of fame so take it for whatever it's worth i'm laying into him privately i mean i am laying it all out there i'm saying everything that huggins said publicly and more but i'm saying it privately i'm saying it to stevenson we are having a one-on-one meeting afterwards and my comments publicly on the radio and with media afterwards will be a little more muted. will be a little more broad, um, you know, about the whole team, not specifically about Stevenson, 
but in private in that locker room, I am lighting his butt up because it just can't happen. But I, I don't, I don't know what the purpose is of saying that stuff public, singling him out publicly like that, and how that's going to affect things. He almost said it Saturday afternoon too. A lot of the we have a bunch of BSers. We have people who want to hey look at me, and you put these two together now, and you can kind of tell that this is not just. I don't think he's reacting out of frustration from Monday night. I think he's reacting out of frustration that bubbled over Monday night that he saw coming for a long, long time. Frustration maybe isn't the right word. Anger, fury, whatever. But he's been down this before. He's, he's managed his personalities before as recently as last year. Um, similar situation that that he had to, had to grab a hold of, and he did. We'll see what he does now at this point here. But, man, Saturday, Kansas, maybe the worst opponent – imaginable coming to town just because they're very good and they're they're they take a trip to morgantown as serious as anybody maybe apart from maybe oklahoma state but just like if a team wants to bounce back and get healthy doing it against kansas is not necessarily the best way to go and this team just had a long break so i don't think you say that they need a break but man heaven help me if they're not in the gym and bob huggins doesn't hear the basketball is bouncing when he looks out of his office window um sometime in the next couple of days because they, they certainly have things to work on offensively, defensively, individually, collectively. Um, and here we go, 10-4, and 0-2 in the Big 12, um, and losses against teams that if they're going to be up and near the top, they were going to have to probably steal one or two on the road just to leapfrog a team like Kansas State or a team like Oklahoma State. Got neither, and now if they're really serious about postseason positioning, they're going to have to get in a run. And to get in a run, just look at the poll, means beating a couple of ranked teams and a couple of Ken Palm or net teams that are – ranked around you or ahead of you and that's that's hard to do and it's just as easy to go the other way here we'll see how they fix it up uh hey i'm brett podolsky co-founder of the farmer's dog we make fresh food for dogs we started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog jada when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food the farmer's dog food isn't fancy it's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs it's better for them and easier for you Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there.
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. One more assist, Chris. You've got an idea, something you want to work on here. A little workshopping on the podcast. Take me through it. What's up your sleeve? Yeah, let's do it. You got me thinking the other day, uh, you had sent me a link. Somebody else had sent me something. And I came to the realization that, you know, a lot of what is discussed on our message board between our members, a lot of the stuff that we do, the stories we write, the podcasts we talk about, in turn is is used by others in the market for their own content. Um, we have other, let's call them writers, who literally will read our message board all day, every day, pick out the hottest topic, and then write a story about it for their own site. Uh, we have another group that at one point made a YouTube video just talking about our YouTube video, which was Whoops. interesting. Um, and you know what, Mike? I figure we got to get in on this. I mean, if, if everybody else is going to use our content and our message board to make their own content, why don't we in turn use the message board to make some more content and some more discussion? So I was trying to think of some things and saw on the message board a lot of conversations. And I was thinking, hey, how about something like two minute take Tuesday or something like that? And then I realized you and I could never give a take in two minutes. No, ever. Um, but that's where I'm trending to. And maybe I don't know if we'll make it like a full podcast each week, like one week where we just have a handful of topics that we kind of rapid fire go through. Or maybe it becomes a segment like this. Like, you know, we talked about the basketball and then we'll have a little segment here where we'll talk a couple hot topics from the message board and give our thoughts as well. Um, maybe that'll become the regular thing. Maybe we'll never hear this again. I don't know. We'll see how it takes. Um, but there were a couple topics on the message board that I thought maybe you and I should give some two minute takes on. What All do right. you think? I'm in. I'm in. All right. Yeah. Since we don't have too much time left on this pod, we'll, we'll keep it to two. Um, the first one, and I've seen it discussed, and I've seen it talked about, um, West Virginia does not need Jose Perez this year. Can we put that to rest now? There, uh, man, I've been on this <laughs> for a while, and like the, the, the volume of feedback on it has really been all over the map, but they are lacking at the two-guard spot. They just are. Um, Kobe Johnson, Seth Wilson are just not giving them a lot of punch, a lot of potency off the bench. Uh, Stevenson can be terrific, and he cannot be terrific. And you at least wonder about what he's going to be like moving forward because he does have that fire that powers him. And if you take that away, how good is he going to be? Like if he's playing on the high wire, but they take that net away, that's going to be tricky for him. And you've kind of seen – what Wilson and Johnson can give you. And I, I just go back to this. They had this roster. They tried to get Courtney Ramey. Couldn't. They got into practice. They tried to get Jose Perez. They could and couldn't. 
they know that they're lacking there. They know. And Kobe Johnson hasn't played in the second half of a couple of games. And that's an odd thing when that two spot has been as lacking as it's been. So I listened to the, I listened to, I conducted the interview with Evan Miyakawa on our podcast and he didn't think it was a great fit, which concerns me because he's probably right there. They need production in the backcourt for sure. I don't know how they wouldn't take him and throw a party about it. Uh, and by the way, Chris, that's supposed to come down today. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm with, I'm with you on a, like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind now that like, I don't think there ever was. I think the idea of, Hey, an extra year, that sounds great. But the idea of him coming in, I, I mean, you have Jose Perez at, at full strength for these last two games. I think West Virginia wins because, you know, the first game that went South because of Stevenson struggles and then him having to be on the bench in West Virginia and not really having, as you put it, like that punch from the one or two spots in the game. And if you're telling me essentially, hey, this is like a Jermaine Haley that's like an inch or two shorter. Yeah, <laughs> like well, of course, take that. And it would be a huge boost to this West Virginia team because he is somebody that can create offense. He is somebody that can give you that punch in that one-two spot. And I don't think there's any doubt, any doubt at all that West Virginia needs Jose Perez on this team. And I'm with you. I think I think Huggins knew it. I think the staff knew it. I think that's why they went after Courtney Ramey. I think that's why they figured this whole thing out with Perez. I mean, it wasn't like, they're, hey, we got an extra spot, so might as well. It was we're creating space just to get this guy on the team, and we are going to fight the NCAA just to make him eligible for the second half because we know we need him. Like, that, that should tell you something. I like it. Um, second one, second uh, two-minute take. I don't even know if this is a two-minute take. It's just something that we've seen on the message board. Uh, it was discussed a lot after Saturday's game, and I wanted to correct the record, and because I was able to find the numbers. Um, somebody asked what was West Virginia's record with Kip Kissinger since the three blind mice comment. Um. Let's get the first correction in there. Kip was not in that game. Was yeah. not refing the game of the three blind mice. But nonetheless, that, what's the record since? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he, because that was something that was, I think that's not the first time that somebody has, has made that comment, but it was not him. It was, there were, there were definitely some familiar names in there that, that everybody's going to know. Uh, the three blind mice were Keith Kimball, Doug Sermons, and Chance Moore. Those were the three refs in that infamous Kansas-West Virginia game between two teams that were both ranked uh, in Lawrence where West Virginia had a nice lead and went south late and some questionable calls and Huggins not happy. Um, but Kissinger was not involved in that game. However, West Virginia's record with Kip in the last, we'll say, two and a half seasons. So the 2020-21 season, to current, they are three and six when Kip is refing, being called for an average of 20 fouls, but also shooting 19 free throws a game. Um, Kip was, yes, he was the ref in the Kansas State game where West Virginia got whistled for 27 fouls. 
but they also shot 38 free throws in that one. He was the ref in the pit game early in the season. The only other time he's refed a West Virginia game this year. And then last year he was refing four of them, four games and went two and two again, Pitt, Kansas state, Kansas, Texas tech. Um, just a couple of games, that Texas tech game, West Virginia got whistled for 30 fouls in that one. Um, but that 2021 season, Gonzaga, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. He, he seems to get, you know, a couple of these big games against West Virginia, but three and six record. Again, West Virginia was bad last year. So yeah. is a three and six record really that far off from what they were as a basketball team? Probably not. I would be really curious to conduct a poll to think if people could pick out the names of the officials in the three blind mice game. Probably one of them. But they're probably going to throw – People are going to pick out sermons for that one, and they're probably going to throw Kissinger, Pollard, or Higgins in there, too, and not the case, too. Um, I think what the frustration is in all this stuff is that that it's it just changes from one half to the next. And like you can almost you can you can look at this pretty regularly in a West Virginia season where someone like me will tweet at halftime. That was a fun first half, you know. 13 fouls, 17 free throws, um, good flow. And then the second half, it's totally different. It's totally different. And I don't know what it is. Now, Garrett, games get more competitive, more physical in the latter stage of the second half. And the second half yesterday was physical. Like, don't get me wrong, it was. But it, it just felt like that some things were being called in the second half that weren't. And then there are, just in two games now, Chris, they're calling a lot of stuff defensively and on the ball. They were not calling early in the season, especially when it comes to ball screens. And you're seeing a lot more offensive stuff and you're seeing a lot more defensive stuff when when it comes to contact. And what probably frustrates coaches is that they get these regular memos from the office, the conference office and the officiating saying, hey, here's a clarification on this point of emphasis. And here's something we're going to look at. And I would I would bet you that most coaches look at that and roll their eyes and go, why are they even doing this? Because when they get into a game, those referees are trained in their own perceptions. And they're going to call the game subjectively, like the way they call games. And sure, the Big 12 will send out officiating memos, but the officials last night are going to be in a Pac-12 game or an SEC game or a Big 10 game later on this week. And they may come around to a Big 12 game, but like what's good in one conference is going to be different in another conference. So these interconference memos aren't very useful either too. Just the consistency from one game to the next, one crew to the next, one half to the next. God, I drive these coaches crazy. Yeah, I was just actually looking at, as I was trying to get the that data on Kip, I mean, he he's done a few Big 12 games, but as you noted, it's been like SEC games, Pac-12 games, Big East games, bouncing around from conference to conference, and it's just not happening. I think that's part of the reason why, um, you know, we've heard Huggins over the years call for does he call for like conference only refs or was he calling for something else i you know what uh i don't know but his as i'm looking at his post game comments from last night too just consistency so that might be the one thing that if you can just find a way to streamline it and get people to see the same teams over and over and over that might help so maybe it is interconference but he's he's always been very quiet about how he would fix officiating i think Probably has the answer. <laughs> yeah, he he's in position to maybe help expedite any uh, fixes. So if he has some answers, I'm sure he's voicing them to the the proper people, maybe not publicly. 
Quick prediction. Mm-hmm. Perez, in or out? Uh, in. I, I think uh, you put it well in your story that, that they're pitching to a different group of people, uh, uh, maybe a more sympathetic group of people, and then you're, you're watching as Manhattan is adding players to their roster right now. Got people eligible the other day. Um, and I just – it's baffling to me that this got rejected just in the first place. So I, I'm thinking against all, you know, evidence to the contrary that the NCAA is going to figure this out and, and get it done correctly. I think so too. We wrote about this middle of last week about the differences and why this might be better for them just based on who's looking into it. One thing that kind of came from that conversation, actually the conversations I had with that post was what will be interesting to happen to next season for him because right now he has next season you could really argue that this season has been screwed up and not his fault so would you take away next season and give him just this season which again is not going to be a full season it's not ideal for him and it's not his fault can you give him the rest of this season and next season that's that's certainly an argument that's going to be postured at some point i think if it hasn't happened already maybe soon but i wonder if he gets the rest of the season but does not get next season because right now it's not both um but because they already promised him next season under the premise that he wasn't going to play this season well if they come back and the appeal says actually you could play this year wait what about next season too because you already gave me next season and is the ncaa going to say no we're taking that season away we're going to make you play half of a season even though it's not your fault, but can it say, you know, you can have one and a half seasons too. I don't know what's going to happen there. I think he gets good news today. I don't know how much good news though, but that would be one thing that I was not aware of before that I would keep my eye on today. That would be big. Um, yeah. For this year and X. Cause I, I was confused with the uh, John Rothstein tweet when it, he broke the news that it got rejected and said, but they gave him eligibility for next year. And I'm thinking, he already does. Like he just redshirt this year, and he should still have a year of eligibility left. So what? What are they giving him an extra year? If so, you know, I, that'd be nice. A year and a half of Perez, uh, obviously better than a half of a year. Just vintage NCAA too to try to give somebody nothing and then give him one and a half times <laughs> what he's originally owed. Terrific. That about wraps Thanks. it up here. Some hot takes uncorked. Plenty coming on the site. News, good and bad about. Football, basketball, do you have a preview, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to be catching up for another podcast later this week. Uh, Dead period ends tomorrow, January 4th. And after that, you could see some transfers be making their way up to campus. Again, I think a couple podcasts ago, I noted that that first weekend in January, you know, this coming weekend, could end up being the new biggest official visit weekend of the year. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. If, if you can get the people on campus, it could end up being like seven, eight, nine, ten guys up on campus because they're trying to make a decision before, you know, mid-January. So they can get enrolled. The semester starts on Monday, too. So, yeah, be interesting. All right. Well, until then, stay tuned. Keep refreshing the site. Keep your eyes on the email today. On social media, news, some regard. We'll see. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.